back there. So get, get your fill of coffee, waters. Uh, we're glad to have you here this morning. A special day for us as we have uh, Zach Clinton speaking to us this morning. So glad to have the Clinton family here uh, to be in worship with us. And we're excited to hear what he has to say. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor here. So uh, anything that you need, any person you're trying to find, let me know. I will get you connected to those people. And we got different things going on, different activities uh, one of our best activities we love to get a part of is Trunk or Treat. So Trunk or Treat's around the corner. We always do, typically do 50 cars. So last year we had 3,000 people come through our Trunk or Treat, and we have it here at JF. And so we got, currently we have 13 cars signed up. So we need about 35, 45 more cars because uh, we want to always like to do a little bit more each year. So, so go to our website, impactforest.org. Sign up your car to be a part of Trunk or Treat. It's a great way for us to be connected to the community because they all come out, bring their families out. And so as you have opportunity to give out candy, you also have opportunity to share who you are and make, a, uh, make them feel welcome and let us know that we're normal people. We're normal people who live in the community, work in the community, and we just have a, a great church family that we can be a part of. So it's an awesome opportunity. So Trunk or Treat, uh, this is going to be on October 29th, and it's going to start at 5 o'clock. So just make sure you go to the website, and you can gather more details from there. So we go from Halloween, let's go to about, talk about Christmas. Yeah, Christmas. So it's not too far away, but it's far enough away where we want to start talking about Operation Christmas Child. Last year, we did 200 boxes. So this year, we're going to try to up it and go 250 boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, you see Dawn over there at the table. She's at the table with Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Shayla, uh, her daughter, is our director for Operation Christmas Child and getting all that organized. So we got 50 boxes today. Uh, there's uh, important information about what goes in the boxes. So we want to go ahead and get that on your mind so that you can start going and collecting the items that need to be in the boxes, get those filled out. And, and every week to come, we're having more boxes delivered so you have more boxes to take home. So just want to let you know about Operation Christmas Child and getting all that set up. Uh, tonight for youth, it's normal night, so meet at the weight room, normal time. Uh, but there is something special about Celebrate Recovery. Tonight, they celebrate one year of being with Impact Church. So Dave and Debbie O'Brien, y'all been with us for a whole year. Celebrate Recovery done an amazing job uh, just within our church, within our community. So tonight, oh, actually this afternoon at 3 o'clock, they're going to have their normal time where they meet. But it's a special service where they're going to celebrate one year being with Impact Church. So a great opportunity. I mean, many things going on here at church. Uh, many opportunities to serve. Uh, today I want to emphasize one group and it's special about serving because they're the, one of the, probably the most like Jesus Christ. And that's the, the tech team behind the scenes. Everything, everything is going right. Nobody knows that there is a tech team. But if something goes wrong, everybody's looking for the tech team. Where's the tech team at? Something's not right with the video or not, something's not right with the audio. So it's just like Jesus, right? Everything's going right. We don't even think about praying. But if something goes wrong, we're looking for Jesus and saying, hey, my life is a mess and where are you at? So, so tech team is a lot like Jesus Christ. So Christy Van, I'm going to bring Christy up so she can talk about some of the things that they're doing. Yep, come on, Christy. She is our director of technology or something. I'm just an old lady that loves God and technology. Um, so, hello, church. How are you this morning? Good? Yeah? All right. All right. Well, I want to uh, just take a moment. I know we've had a lot of technical issues, and I appreciate your patience. Uh, believe me, I've had a lot of suggestions, and we are working on everything. So, um, and um, Tim's right. The tech team isn't noticed until something goes wrong. So, we really appreciate you guys um, 
support and we appreciate your patience. I want to share a quick story. Um, there are some, I was in tears several years, uh, several years, I wish it was years, several months ago, um, weeks ago, about uh, just everything that was going wrong and everything seemed to just not work. And every Sunday, it was a mess back there. And um, I was praying and uh, about three weeks ago, two young men walked up to me and they said, well, can we help you? And I said, well, do you have any experience? Well, yes, ma'am, we've been in it since um, we were like eight years old. And um, the gentleman that runs um, our program, we started in a strip mall type thing and he has built it all the way up. And um, they had him on FaceTime. And short, short story, their son David as well. I'd like to call you guys up real quick while I tell the story. This is, this is Jesus Christ, and only Jesus could make this happen. These two young men walked up to me and volunteered, and they had Steve on the phone. So upcoming here is David, Georgie, and Steve. They are family. They have come here from London, Kentucky. Right there on camera one is Braden Owens, and right here on um, in the red shirt, Nate Owens, and Amanda Lightfoot would not come up. But these people were here yesterday for 11 hours of volunteer work to get into our system and rebuild it from the bottom up. Now, what I find out is amazing. I found out that, bless their hearts, they um, just do it for the Lord, and they've done everything for the Lord. And I just want to give them credit, and I want to give the Lord credit for pulling us out and allowing us to have this wonderful opportunity. David was supposed to go home this weekend to see his parents, but his parents drove seven hours, spent 11 hours with us yesterday, here today, and will be going home this afternoon. So safe, safe travels for them. And mm, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, unless you want a comedy show, we got to get Tim back up here for a prayer. How's that? All right. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for who you are. And Father, for your emphasis on relationships. And Father, just uh, to see this, uh, I think it's your purpose in our lives is to see churches support one another. And this uh, couple, Steve and Georgie, and, and their sons that uh, are willing to come here to volunteer, drive all the way from Kentucky. Uh, they're a part of a ministry there. They're doing work in their church there, but yet they see an opportunity to come and serve us and bless us and help us in our ministry. And, and that's what you're all about, God. God, you're wanting your, your children, your sons and daughters in different churches to support one another, help one another to do ministry so that we can all together reach those that need Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And we thank you for that, Father. And we thank you for all that you're doing through this church and this community, Father. We thank you for Zach being here this morning. We're excited to hear the message you laid on his heart. We ask that you just uh, fill him with your presence. I know you filled him with your word as he studied and prepared. And just let him today to feel your presence as he speaks, to speak your words with your power and your wisdom, Father. And this, we just give you all the glory for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good to see you this morning, Impact Family. Let's all stand together as we worship our Lord today. Yeah. 
Amen. Can you say thank you to God this morning for all that he's done for you? Amen. Amen. This next song is a new song that we've learned recently called Trusting God. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God who is trustworthy, that has proven faithful time and time again. Thank you, Father, for who you are. lost a battle
say amen to that. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
praise the Lord this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. God, I thank you that in the good times and in the bad times, we can trust in you, God. You are a God who never fails. You are a God who never leaves. And God, I pray that as we hear your word today, God, that we'll be transformed to be more like you. Thank you for being a good father, for being a Naba father. God who loves us. God, we thank you so much for loving us. Even when we were enemies, you loved us and you came. Sent your only son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for that, Father. And I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior today, that today would be their day of salvation, that they would come to you and realize that everything they're looking for is found in you. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hello. Ah, there we are. Amen. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Hope you guys are excited to be in the house of the Lord. Man, I tell you what, it's great every week to see um, people pack a public high school cafeteria out for Jesus. Man, there's nothing like that, man. To bring the presence of the Lord into the public schools like this. Amen. Hey, yeah, give the Lord a round of applause. I know um, we've prayed over this school and uh, Pray it over these halls, and I know God's at work in many ways. So welcome to Impact Church this morning. If you're visiting with us and uh, you're uh, searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, a place to belong, we hope the Lord would, would lead you right here. So if you're um, church stopping and church shopping, we hope this is your last stop and your last shop right here. And God would anchor you here. God's doing an amazing work, and we would love for you and your family to be a part of what God is doing. So welcome here this morning. And if many of you uh, are aware, um, we need to be in prayer over Israel. Uh, Israel has uh, been uh, bombed with thousands of bombs here. We know that um, times are unstable uh, over there. Times are unstable in our world, guys. And we just preached through the entire book of Revelation. So we know what God's word says. And we know what's happening. And uh, we know that we are to be a light in the darkness right now in the midst of all that. So be in prayer uh, over Israel and over our world and nation and everything that's going on. Um, also, as such, speaking of being a light for Christ, uh, Impact Church has the opportunity, guys, of being in on a uh, church plant, a brand new church plant in an area that seemingly has no churches over in a uh, um, country in South Asia. And so we're going to have a team that's going to start, uh, uh, go out this week, um, and they're going to be a part of that kind of pioneering missions work and uh, bring back to us what needs to happen. So we'll be sending out uh, more teams in the future as, as that gets going along. So we're going to pray over them at the end of service before they go out. So just want to uh, let you know that and what God's doing. But then also, so that, that's... Uh, uh, on the overseas part, but we're hard at work on the missions right here because how many of you know missions is not just overseas, missions is right here. <laughs> Amen. So uh, we are uh, a big part and supporter of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and uh, what they do uh, in our schools and with our athletes here around the area. And specifically this week, we have two opportunities coming up over the next two weeks. Um, where I'm going to be speaking at the Fields of Faith here at Jefferson Forest High School this Wednesday and then next Wednesday at Liberty High School. So uh, we'll welcome you to come out, be a part of that, get all your kids to come out, um, families can come out, adults can come out, everybody come out and be a part of that. And uh, it's going to be a great time in the Word and uh, just seeking God. And God's doing an amazing work 
here already. Just uh, with Rick Kennedy and Fellowship of Christian Athletes, every Wednesday, and we've done this um, since the time we planted the church back in uh, even before that, in fall of 2016, and we started doing devotions over there with the football team and uh, feeding them a meal. And God's done an amazing work. We would usually get 20, 25 kids on a good night. Uh, this year, Rick is getting 50 and 60 football players to stay after practice every Wednesday and hear on, from the Word of God. Man, it's just amazing what God's doing. So, um, being a, a part of what God is doing is amazing. I want to read this passage real quick for you. Um, before we dive in and, and introduce our speaker here for today. And it's Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Guys, we're in the midst of it in the battle. I've said oftentimes I believe we're in the fourth quarter. And you know what? In the fourth quarter, the coach puts the playmakers on the field, and I believe God wants us to make a play for him. So we need to be salt and light. We need to stir up good works. What's that for? So people can praise us, look at us? No. What, did, what does the word of God say? That our good works are to point other people to Jesus. That we're the light of the world, and we cannot be hidden. We, nobody puts a lamp in a room and puts it under a bowl. They put it on its stand so it shines light into all the house. In the same way, let your good works shine so others will see Christ in you. Hey, guys, that's what we're after. That's what we're doing as a church as well. Also, plenty of opportunities uh, from our, our, our guest speaker today. There'll be a booths on the side. Also, um, Donna and Kush Chatham over here with Engage. If you are new to the area, moved in, or you're not registered in any way that you know of to vote, they're going to help you do that. So they're over here, and they're qualified to get you registered and take all the boot work from you. You can just sign up, get registered to vote. That way you can be salt and like in our uh, election coming up here this November and next November as well. So if you have any questions, Questions about anything to do with registration for voting and stuff, that's your headquarters over there at the end of service. So now to introduce our, our special speaker here that we have with us today is somebody that's very near and dear to my heart and a family that's near and dear to my heart that uh, the Lord has allowed me to do ministry with um, for, for some time. And uh, I know you guys have seen some of the social media posts, so we're honored today to have Zach Clinton come and speak to us today. He is the vice president of the American Association of Christian Counselors, where he also uh, serves as a, a licensed uh, counselor in light counseling. He is also the host of the Built Different podcast, where he has the opportunity to interview and speak with uh, many healthcare professionals, uh, ministry leaders, and uh, also professional athletes, um, including, uh, I believe, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Albert Pujols, and, and, and many others. So God is uh, really using him in a mighty way. And, and on top of that, he is also the president and host of the Ignite Men's Ministry Conference. Many of you are familiar with that. Uh, brings in around 10,000 men here in our local area. That's where I've been able to partner with him and his family in the past, doing the power source, feats of strength team in some fashions. So um, God is really using this guy in an amazing way. He was also a uh, Division I baseball player for Liberty University, where he now serves as the chaplain for the baseball team up there and pours into them young men as well on a regular basis. So I'm going to be honest with you. After today, y'all are not going to want me to preach no more. <laughs> y'all just going to want to bring him back every week. Zach is a phenomenal speaker. He's, uh, he's, he's really um, 
getting popular and, and has a passion for the mental health scene and, and helping people realize that you're never out of the fight. And how many of you know that? You're never out. And God's never absent. God's never silent. Even in times when he seems silent, he's there. We just learned that next, last week as we started Esther. So without taking any of his time and further ado, I want you to give a really big warm welcome for Zach Clinton as he comes to bring his word with us today. Thank you. And also his wife, Evelyn, his dad, Dr. Tim Clinton, and all their family are there as well. So make sure you welcome them as well. That's right. Love Thank you, you, Pastor Brad. Love you, sir. Good morning, you guys. How are you? Man, this is my favorite time of the year. Not only are we in the Lord's house Sunday morning, but any sports fans in the house? Because we got college football, NFL, and my personal favorite, the MLB playoffs are on. I'm a Braves fan, so I'm rooting a little bit for the Braves this year. We got skunked last night, but come on, people. Let me tell you guys something. I'm so blessed and humbled and honored to be joining you guys today. As Pastor Brad said, I'm thankful. I always give credit where credit is due to Impact Church. I love every opportunity I get to come alongside of them, to partner with them. And I have an affinity and a real love and appreciation for Pastor Brad and Stacy and their family. They have done some amazing things. He has been just like a brother, like a big brother, a mentor and a really dear friend of mine. So I'm incredibly thankful and blessed for Pastor Brad. I'm in the understanding that over the summer, you guys did a mental health series, and that fired me up. And when Pastor Brad was like, Zach, we want you to come in. We want you to come on the latter half. I want you to share some things that you've learned throughout your life, throughout your professional career with us. Man, that just excited me. Today, as we begin, what I think would be a beautiful kind of culmination of all that you guys have learned, but also as we begin today, is a story that I want to share with you before we really get into the nitty-gritty. It begins, it's actually out of a book that was titled Chicken Soup for the Soul back in the day. And it became a viral story that went all over this online piece. It's about a boy named Kyle from the perspective of Kyle's friend. This is what it reads. One day, when I was a freshman in high school, it's fitting that we're in a high school, I saw a kid from my class was walking home from school. His name was Kyle. Looked like he was carrying all of his books. So I thought to myself, why would anyone bring home all their books on a Friday? Right? This kid must really be a nerd. I had quite a weekend planned. Parties, a football game with my friends tomorrow afternoon. So I shrugged my shoulders and I carried on. But as I was walking, I saw a bunch of kids running toward him. They ran at him. They knocked all his books out of his arms and tripped him so that he fell in the dirt. His glasses went flying, and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet from him, and he looked up with this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out for him, so I jogged over to him, and as he crawled around looking for his glasses, I saw a tear begin to fall. As I handed him his glasses, I said, man, those kids are jerks. Like, don't worry about them. He looked at me, and he said, hey, thanks. And there was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude, real appreciation. I helped him pick up his books, asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived close to me. So I asked him why I'd never seen him before. He said he had went to a private school. You know, I probably wouldn't hang out with private school kids. And so that's probably why. We talked, though, all the way home as I carried his books. And it turns out Kyle became a very close, near and dear friend of mine. Ended up being a pretty cool kid, and my friends thought the same, too. Monday morning comes around, and there was Kyle again with his huge stack of books. I stopped him and said, bro, you're going to get absolutely jacked if you keep carrying those books to and from school day in and day out. He laughed, handed me half the stack. Over the next four years, 
as we became best friends, we turned into seniors, began to think about college. Kyle decided on Georgetown, and I was going to Duke. I knew that we would always be friends and that smiles would never be a problem. He was going to be a doctor, and I was going for business on a football scholarship. Kyle was valedictorian of our class. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare then a speech for graduation day. I was glad it wasn't me being the one that had to speak. When graduation day pulled around, Kyle looked great. He was one of those guys that really found himself during high school. He filled out, looked good in glasses. He had more dates than me, and all the girls loved him. Author said, boy, sometimes I was jealous. Today was one of those days. I could see, though, that he was nervous. So I smacked him on the back. I said, hey, bud, you're going to be great. He looked at me with that same look of appreciation that he did years ago. And again, he said, thanks. As he started his speech, somewhere just like up here, he clears his throat and he begins, graduation is a time to thank those who have helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach or two, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift that you can give them. I'm going to share with you a story. I just looked in utter disbelief as my friend told the story of the first time we had ever met. You see, he had planned on killing himself over the weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker so that way his mother, his mother and his father wouldn't have to come back and do it later on that evening. But then he stopped and said, thankfully I was saved. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard the gasp, just like many of you just made, go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us all about this weakest moment. Then he concludes the story by saying, I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling, that same grateful smile, not until that moment that I realized its depth. Never minimize or underestimate the platform and the ability each of you have to impact a life. Look for Jesus in somebody else. Pray with me. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for these moments. Lord, I pray that you would remove within me anything that may prohibit your word from being brought forth. Let these be your words, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help each and every person in this room. God, give them ears to listen and give them a heart that is receptive of the message that you have placed on my heart to share. God, thank you again for these times and these moments. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Something I always say is that you don't have to win all your fights, but you must fight all your fights. The truth is, every room that you walk into, somebody is going through something that you probably know nothing about. That person could be you. That person could be somebody sitting next to you. That person could be somebody you pass on a sidewalk or you pass on a road and you get a little road rage, right? People are going through something all the time. It's being able and willing to see people in the midst of their brokenness. Being willing to see them and to ask the right questions rather than making the right assumptions, you see, in our mental health space, in our mental health profession, a few years back, Bruce Perry, Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, they actually wrote a book, but they did an interview that went viral as well. The language is beginning to shift in our space. Typically, we're very judgmental people. We're very judgmental beings. That's just natural, right? So when we see somebody going through something, the natural tendency is to say, what's the matter with that person? Like, what's wrong with that kid? What's wrong with that woman? going through something like that, making those type of decisions. No, the language is now shifted, you guys, from what's the matter to I wonder what happened to that person. 
What's happened to that person, right? Getting to know people in the midst of their brokenness, getting to know them beyond the superficial stuff. That's what we're here to actually do. That's what we're called to do. That's ministry. That's a calling. That's a purpose. What's happened to these people? We always say, my dad always reminds me of this, at the American Association of Christian Counselors, we have moved, my friends, from a mental health crisis to now over the last four years, what we've seen unpack, I mean, from the election mess to the racial tension and trauma to COVID, obviously, and the isolation and the lockdowns, I mean, it has been chaos. We all know that. We've all been recipients of that. But we've moved now from a mental health crisis into what we define as a mental health disaster. And we need people on the front lines now more than ever. What's the verse say in scripture? That the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We need people trained and equipped for such a time as this. Listen to some of these statistics. These are pretty heartbreaking. And I wanted to start with them because this is alarming, you guys. This should wake us up. For adults, some of the mental statistics on them, pre-COVID-19, pre-pandemic, one in five or 20% of adults experienced a mental illness in a given year, and yet only half of those received treatment. One half or 50% of all chronic mental illness was known to begin by the age of 14, three quarters or 75% by the age of 24. One in 12 or 8.5% of U.S. adults had a substance use disorder. And then hear this one, from 1999 to 2017, the suicide rate had increased 33% in the United States. Now, let's fast forward to post-COVID-19, the times that we live in today. Data from the Census Bureau shows that 33% of Americans are exhibiting signs of clinical depression or anxiety. A Kaiser Family Foundation poll revealed that 45% of American adults reported a negative impact on their mental health due to stress and anxiety since the events of the last three to four years. And in a survey from the CDC, 40% of those U.S. adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. And of that 40%, 31% have anxiety, depression symptoms. 13% have started or increased their substance abuse. 26% have trauma or stressor-related disorder symptoms. And a staggering 11% have seriously considered suicide. See, that's heartbreaking for me somebody that works in the field, somebody that sees and walks alongside of people every day. Now let's fast forward because I have a real passion in a heart specifically for the next generation, for our kids, for our sons, for our daughters, for our brothers, for our sisters, right? Here's some of these. This is, this is staggering. 20% of adolescents may experience a mental health problem in any given year. 10% of children and young people aged 5 to 16 have a clinically diagnosable mental health challenge. Yet 70% of children and adolescents who experience these mental health challenges have not had appropriate interventions at a sufficiently early age. 85% of kids want to improve something about themselves. 75% of our girls wish they could surgically change something about their body. One in four girls and one in six boys are sexually abused by the age of 18 by someone they should have been able to love or trust. Three to four million youth and adolescents will contract an STD each year. One million 12 to 17-year-olds, and I believe this is even higher, will have an abortion each year. This one's definitely higher. Over 10 million youth and adolescents regularly view pornography online. Nearly 40, this one breaks my heart, nearly 40% will wake up at some point in a home where their biological father does not live. Come on, man. 
Millions watch their parents fight and scream at each other day in and day out. More than two-thirds of all kids report at least one traumatic event by the age of 16. Bullying rampant within our school systems. Technology addiction only adds another complexity to our next gen as well. Cutting, substance abuse, depression, anxiety, suicidality, grief and loss. You guys, all those numbers are on the rise. They're skyrocketing. Should wake us up, right? When we talk about, I actually reference a lot of the time when I speak at conferences and conventions that we're living in Esther times. When a lot of evil is being called good and a lot of good is being called evil. And we need people like us to step up because just like Esther, just like what Pastor Brad just said, it's the fourth quarter. That God puts his playmakers on the field in the fourth quarter, we were made for such a time as this. It's moved from what's the matter with you again to what happened with you. Mental health does not discriminate. No one is a stranger to pain or adversity in this life. Today, if you would turn your, your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, that's where we're going to dive into scripture. I want to set it up for you guys though. A man named Elijah, that's who we'll be learning about today. What you have to understand about Elijah is Elijah had an incredible kind of relationship with God. This was a man who listened to God, and every time he listened to the voice of God and he obeyed him, guess what? God blessed him, just like he often does to us. So Elijah, in chapter 17, man, Elijah was kind of wrestling with God. God gives him directions. He gives him orders. He listens to the voice of God. He goes actually into a widow's house to receive food and water, which was the command from the Lord. If you guys remember that story in 1 Kings 17, what ends up happening is the widow's son dies when Elijah comes in. And Elijah's like, God, are you kidding me? Now the widow's mad at me. And God's like, hey, 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 just trust me. Trust my plan. So Elijah, then he beckons with God, God, please help me. Help me raise this boy back to life. God blesses him. God shows up in the moment. They're able to do that together. And chapter 18 is the big standoff, right? And so here he is, Elijah, and all of the false prophets of Baal, 950 of them in total, are lined up. Elijah's not, he's not afraid. He's actually confident. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's build an altar, both of us. We'll see whose God really shows up. He says, you pray to your God, I'll pray to my Lord. So they build an altar. The prophets of Baal, they build theirs up, and they're going back and forth for hours. It says from morning to noontime. They are praying, they're beckoning, they're dancing, they're doing all of their ritualistic things. Guess what? Silence. Elijah actually starts laughing. He's like, are you serious? Do you want to keep praying a little bit harder? Maybe they didn't hear you. And all of a sudden, what ends up happening? Nothing. So Elijah says, let me pray to my God. He prepares the altar. He digs the trenches around the altar, my friends. And then he says, hey, let's get some jars of water, and let's take 12 of them, and let's start dumping them over this altar. That's how confident he was in his God. Because guess what happened? The Lord then actually shone about. It says that he gave a fire so big that it not only encompassed the wood, it not only encompassed the altar, it encompassed the trenches, and it dried up all of the water. God shows up. When we pursue him relentlessly, and that's what Elijah had done up to this point. So now we're fast forwarding because what had happened was after the standoff, after that altercation in chapter 18, all of the prophets of Baal were slaughtered. And so King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they're not too happy about things. So picking up in verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Elijah was afraid 
and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. In verse 7 it says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up. He ate and he drank, strengthened by that food. He then traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? You have to understand, that's not just a question asking about his geographical location. Like, what are you doing in the mouth of this cave at Mount Horeb, my friend? No, he's asking Elijah, how did you get to this point in your life when you forgot about my faithfulness, when you forgot about my goodness, when you forgot what happens when you stay true to me and you rest in my presence? How did you get here? His response, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Some of you in this room may feel like you're the only one left. What I want to do today is I want to take you guys on a quick journey of what I've learned. And it's a message that my dad has taught me my entire life about a path to brokenness, but then we'll transition, I promise. I'm not going to leave you there, and we'll go to a path to freedom too. As we talk about the path to brokenness, it's all an A's model, right? It's really simple. It's something easy to remember. Every letter, every word begins with the letter A. The first piece that ends up happening in this path to brokenness is that we always get assaulted by life. Or there's adversity that strikes. What I've always learned is that pain is inevitable in this life, my friends. Like I told you, right? There's no discrimination to pain and adversity. I've always heard from Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr. He always said there's three types of people in this world. Those that are going into trouble, those that are in the midst of trouble, or those that are just getting out of trouble. And guess what? They're getting ready to go right back in. What I've always heard about pain, Eric Thomas, one of my favorite motivational speakers, this is what he always says. He says, you know what? Pain, it may last for a second, it may last for a minute, it may last for an hour, or a day, or a week, or a month, or a year, or a decade, but eventually pain will subside. So although pain is inevitable, pain is not permanent, but it's what we do with our pain that matters most in this life. Oftentimes we get stuck in the midst of the times where we get assaulted by life. We get stuck in our hardships, in our suffering, in our adversity. And what that then ends up happening is the second step to brokenness is that leads to a double A response. A lot of us, we grow angry or we grow anxious at life. You guys have heard this, the neurobiological piece, it's fight or flight. And sometimes there's a freeze, right? Where we get angry. You guys know a lot of angry people, somebody who's angry, who life has just been difficult and challenging to. And you see them walking down the street and they fight with so much anger in their heart. They live life with the clenched fists. 
life is hard in their heart to life, to relationships, they don't really know how to love and be loved well because they're just bitter. We all know people like that. But then there's also people who are on the flip side of that. Over here, they're really anxious. Elijah, really afraid, right? Feel like we're walking on eggshells. Feel like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen next. That's the problem. So many of us, right? We know God is good, right? We know it up here. We just don't sometimes believe, right, that he has our best interest at heart all the time. And that's where we fall by the wayside. God, I know you love me. You say it in your word time and time again. I've heard your promises. I just don't know if, you know, you're going to come through this time. That's where Elijah was at. He was anxious and he was afraid. Any of you know some anxious people in here? We all know them. What ends up happening then, out of our anger or out of our anxiety or our fear, what that can quickly turn into, and I want to hone in on this one for a little bit, is this feeling of aloneness. We begin to feel alone. First Peter 5.8, it's fascinating. My dad grew up back in the day. He always shares this story where he grew up with the old box TVs, right, with the rabbit ears. You had to adjust it perfectly. But he said once he finally found the perfect adjustment in black and white, he watched this show back in the day called Wild Kingdom. And it was about all of these animals, right? And he loved watching the one specifically about the lions, and what was fascinating to him is when a lion was chasing like a pack of gazelle or a herd of gazelle, what they would typically do, they don't chase the whole pack, my friends. They isolate the one, the weak one, the vulnerable one, right? And that's the one they'll pounce on. That's what the evil one does to us too. His word reminds us, right, in 1 Peter 5, 8, that we are called to be alert, to be vigilant, to be of sober mind. Because the evil one, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are most vulnerable in isolation. And isolation is the enemy, not just to faith, but to growth and to progress and to development in this life. We can't live life alone. Culture and society, though, unfortunately, and what breaks my heart is that culture and society equates brokenness with embarrassment. So if I'm broken... I can't share that. And what that ends up doing is it sends us into this cycle of shame. You know what shame says? Shame says, if you really knew me, if you really knew what I was going through, man, if you really knew my brokenness or my hurts or my hangups or my hardships or my past or my mistakes or the decisions I make when nobody else is watching, if you knew me, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't love me. You wouldn't accept me. You wouldn't invite me over. You wouldn't text or call me. That's what shame says. So it sends us into this place of hiddenness where I start to live a superficial life. And unfortunately, we live in a culture and society that is built on, it's a comparison culture built on perceived perfection. That's why you see, I think, the rise and the skyrocketing in our youth and adolescents because they have the Instagrams and the TikToks and the Facebooks and some of the other social media accounts that we know nothing about, I guess. Be Reels, I didn't even know what Be Real was. But all of a sudden, here they are. And they're looking through and they're scrolling through every day, comparing themselves to other people. And what is comparison? It's the thief of joy. Comparison robs us of the joy that God has set apart for us to experience in this life. A couple of statistics on loneliness because it's imperative to understand. You guys have to know this. Loneliness is the invisible illness of our age. And just like physical illnesses, it's the undiagnosed illnesses 
that are always the most dangerous and the most deadly. I love this this quote and really this definition of the word by my friend Dr. Mark Mayfield, who's an expert on the topic. He said, loneliness is the state of being unseen or unnoticed relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually. It can be driven by a lack of purpose or meaning, a lack of relationship, and a lack of identity, and is marked by a deep sense of hopelessness. Loneliness is a disease pathway. As loneliness increases, so does the deterioration of our immune system, which can actually lead to greater physical impacts. You guys, that's crazy. What does that say? That our psychological peace affects our physiological and physical aspects as well. And then here, this loneliness has also led to increased levels of anxiety, depression, overdoses, and suicide. When we feel alone, my friends, there's a lot of challenge in this life. I was interviewing a guy not too long ago on his new book. His new book is titled Made for People, How We, Lift, How we Drift into Loneliness and Why We Need to Fight for a Life of Friendship. And how he defined loneliness was fascinating to me because a lot of people, when we think of lonely people, what do we think of? Like a hermit, right? Somebody that stays home all the time. They never go outside. They don't want to go out to eat at restaurants. They always cook inside or whatever. That's what we think of or what I always thought of when I thought of like somebody who's lonely. Like, I'm not lonely. I see people all the time, right? I interact with people all the time. But what he actually said and how he defines loneliness, and I love this. He said, no, no, no. Loneliness is different, Zach. It's really changed. How I define loneliness is being someone who used to have friends. You know, before I got the big job, before I got the promotion, before I moved off to college, before we had kids, before, you know, all of these different transitions that happen in life, oftentimes the one thing we neglect are the people that matter the most. But he said, let me define for you how I call what he calls covenant friendship. He says, friendship, a lot of people, you know, they're in friendships. They're superficial. They don't really know the depths of your heart. But he said, how I define covenant friendship is the exact opposite of what I just described to you guys as shame. How he defines a covenant friend is somebody that knows everything about you, the innermost workings of your heart, your past, your decisions, all of those things. They know everything about you, but they still choose to love and accept you. You see, the gospel, my friends, The gospel is actually built on this covenant, this friendship with God, with Jesus Christ. Somebody who says, I know everything about you, but I love you, but I choose you, but I'll leave the 99 for you any day of the week. That is this idea of covenant friendship. Listen, though, to some more statistics. Cigna Research Survey, this is heartbreaking because not many people know that one piece I just told you guys. They live in loneliness because they think they surround themselves with people, but they never know the depth of those things. 20,000 participants in this survey, 18 and older, 54% felt no one knew them. 46% reported feeling alone. 47% reported feeling left out. 43% reported lacking companionship, feeling their relationships were not meaningful, and feeling isolated from others. 39% felt no They felt no longer close to anyone. 59% felt like their interests and ideas were not shared by anyone else. And 36% did not feel like they had anyone to turn to. You guys want to know why we're in a mental health disaster? Because we're a lonely generation. We might be the most technologically connected generation, 
right? I can pick up my phone, I can text somebody, I can call somebody, I can DM somebody, but we are the most relationally disconnected generation that has ever lived or walked on the face of the earth. And that, my friends, is heartbreaking. What this guy, Justin Whitmell Early, what he said in this book made for people that I just shared with you guys about, he said that technology is a means by which we can enhance friendship, but it is not the means by which we engage in friendship. Technology, man, it's great, right? It can enhance things. Yeah, I can send a text to somebody, but it's just a snack in terms of relationships. Embodied friendship, though, is the the main meal. That's really what it comes down to. We don't need more snacks in life. We need the meal. We need embodied friendship and embodied relationship. Unfortunately, when you feel alone, it can lead to a sense of alienation and or arrogance. You see Elijah here, he felt alone, so what did he do? He alienated himself. He went away. He was gone. Oftentimes what we do is we find ourselves alienating ourselves, locking ourselves up in this idea of arrogance. It's not that people are arrogant. It's not that they're selfish, right? What it really comes down to is have you guys ever walked into a room or you've heard somebody that is depressed, and what did they always talk about? Themselves. Their, their struggles, their difficulties, and their challenges. And unfortunately, what ends up happening a lot of the times, you guys, is when somebody that's depressed walked in the room, depressed people are what? Depressing. I can say that. I'm a counselor, right? Depressed people can be depressing. So what ends up happening is they'll come walking in a room, and what's the last place you want to go when you start walking? When you see them walking in, it's like, I'm going this way because I've already heard that story. But what does that do to somebody? It reiterates to them, oh, well, I'm all alone. Nobody cares about me. That's what happens in the same life. So it's not that they're arrogant. It's just that they're so caught up and they're wrapped and they're stuck in their brokenness, you guys, that they don't know what else to talk about. That's why they end up going into that sense of alienation. What that can turn into is adulteries of the heart. Again, when we feel alone, when we feel like nobody's there for us, when we feel like nobody's going to come alongside of us and help catapult us or propel us to where we need to be, I'll start reaching for anything, my friends, to numb or to anesthetize the pain or the void that I'm experiencing in my life. I'll reach for the alcohol. I'll reach for the drugs. I'll reach for the pornography. I'll reach for the women, the men, whatever it is. I'll reach for anything. I just need relief. And so, again, it goes back to that idea of we don't question your toughness. We just question your ability to trust, right? When we feel like we can't trust God, when we feel like, God, you know what? Like, I know you're a good God. I just don't know if you have my best interest at heart. We start trying to take on the role of God in our lives. I'll take this one, God. I'll find my best way out. Adulteries of the heart, though, what they can quickly turn into are addictions when we feel like the means by which we found relief can become the only things by which we can become dependent upon to experience that relief. That's why you see people, right? There's an old country song that says, the more I drink, the more I drink. The more you do something, you guys, even though it's temporary, we still, we run back to things time and time again. And then after the adulteries aspect, we know out of addictions, right? You can go into that cycle of shame. That's where the accuser, the last step here, loves to whisper his lies. Hey, you're never going to, you're never going to fix. God does not have a plan for your life. You're going to remain stuck forever. Nobody really cares about you, Zach. Nobody sees you. Nobody hears you. Nobody understands you. God isn't for you. This world would be better off without you. Now, that was pretty depressing, wasn't it? 
That's a, that's, a, that's a rabbit trail, my friends, right? Into the path of brokenness. But that's a simplistic man. It's not linear. You don't have to go step by step, but a lot of people find themselves stuck there. But now I want to dive back in here for a second in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 18, to show you what God does to really spark this path to freedom for Elijah. He says, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came, it says there was a gentle whisper. In the Hebrew translation, in the original translation, it says in, in utter silence. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him the same question from before, Elijah, what are you doing here? He replied the same answer, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. I view that as, Elijah, we need you. We need you. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put, will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not yet kissed him. In other words, I have work for you to do, and you are not alone. You are not the only one in this fight. Somebody in this room needs to understand that there are people here. There are people around you that are for you and not against you. There are people that are trained and equipped to help, and they want nothing more than for you to welcome them in. You're not alone. What I love is that God gave Elijah an assignment, but he reminded him again of his hope. You see, hope is a powerful thing. Hope, what my dad always says, is that hope is the key that bridges the gap between despair and resilience. When we understand that hope is a person, it can change everything. What I believe is this, hope changes our perspective, hope ignites our patience, hope fuels our purpose, and perseverance, and more than anything, hope is found in his presence. We have to spend time with hope. We have to be able to immerse ourselves and spend time in his word, spend time with the Lord to experience the hope. Because again, hope is a person, my friends. Even if God does nothing else, he's already done enough. When he sent his son Jesus to pay the ultimate price on a substitutionary death on the cross in our place, that is hope. We don't scratch and fight and claw for victory anymore we get to fight from a place of victory that's why i love what was being shared up here and what was being sung up here because that's what it's all about we can trust in him because of what he's already done there is hope even when it doesn't feel like there is 
There's a story of a man named Dr. Rick Rigsby. He shares all the time for us at Ignite Men's Impact Weekend. He's kind of our closer. That's kind of what we dubbed him. And his story is that he was going through a really difficult time. His wife had just passed away from breast cancer, and he was broken, you guys. And he talks about at her funeral, she was just placed up there in the casket, and he was at the casket on his knees just crying out to the Lord, suffering in pain. And his dad walks up to him, and his dad puts his arm around him, and he said, son, I'm here for you. And he looked up at his dad and he said, Dad, man, I just feel like I've lost all hope. His dad looked down at him and he said, it's the most imperative lesson he's ever learned in his life. He said, son, you can't lose something that God gave you. You haven't lost hope. You've lost perspective. Elijah, he hadn't lost hope in this story. He had just lost perspective. That's why God was saying, what are you doing here? How'd you forget me? How did you forget all of the things, all of the miracles, all of the signs and the wonders that you've seen me do in your life up to this point? How did you get to a place where you forget that even though it may not be comfortable, my friends, God is still capable? How'd you get here? There's a path to freedom that I want to show you guys quickly as we close it out. It begins with, number one, pressing into the affection of God, understanding that we serve a loving God. You see, what I believe is oftentimes when we go through pain and challenge and hardship and difficulty in life, we view God as this authoritative figure up there that says, like, hey, he just allows things to happen to us. But that could be nothing further from the truth. You see, God just doesn't allow things to happen. He is in our midst experiencing these things alongside of us. I remember a man told me a story that he was bitter. He was angry because he was beaten and been abused by every man that his mother would allow into her life. And he was actually a guy who has a horrific testimony. But he shared with me, he got into ministry one day. He had never dealt with his past and some PTSD stuff was coming up in his life. But as he's preaching from the pulpit week in and week out, he starts to see a counselor because of some of the effects that begin being implemented within his life. And he's asking for help. And this counselor looks at him and says, let me tell you something. So let me ask, where was God in all of those years of, of hurt and hardship? And it said that it hurt him so much that he said that he had to take some time before he could even come back to God with that question because he didn't know. It's like, I don't know. Where was God in the midst of my childhood? Those first 18 years of my life when his life was absolutely the most challenging and difficult story I had ever heard. And one night he said that he believes the answer when he was wrestling with God just came to him in a dream. And he said that in this dream, he was sitting there and he saw his dad, his stepdad really, who had just beaten him night in and night out. And he said he saw his dad just come out with the belt and the whip and he was just getting ready to take his nightly ritual and nightly routine. But he said all of a sudden there was a transcendent figure that stepped in between he and his dad. And it was the image of Christ. And he said, what I thought was going to happen was that Jesus was going to turn around and he was going to beat my dad up for me. But he said, that didn't happen. What ends up happening was that Jesus came alongside of me, jumped on the bed with me, encompassed me in his arms, wrapped me in them, hugged me, and he took the beating with me. That's what God does, my friends. Oftentimes, just like James 1, 2 to 4 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith goes on to produce perseverance, so let perseverance finish its race, so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. We don't consider it joy because of the pain. 
We can consider it joy because of what that pain can produce in and through us if we allow God to let it. I always say pressure's a privilege. Why is pressure a privilege? A lot of people hate pressure. I don't want to be squeezed tight. That's an idea of pressure, right? When there's so much pressure on me to perform, I don't want that. But what if it were a privilege because the only reason you're in a high-pressure situation in the first place is because somebody believes in you enough to be there? Somebody believed in you enough to put you there. What if God, he, you're in a high-pressure situation right now in life because he chose you as his chosen soldier and warrior to endure some of these things alongside of him, to go through the fiery, the fiery furnaces in our lives or the pits or the lion's dens or the wilderness seasons because he said, together, we're going to turn your test into a testimony or your mess into a message. Your pain, my friends, can become your purpose when you recognize the affection of God. Two verses that always come to mind, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 5, say rejoice always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then it says, let your gentleness, your confidence be known to all people. Why? The Lord is near. Isaiah 43, 1 to 2 says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You're never alone in the midst of this fight. You're never alone in the midst of the fire. Like, like they sang up here, there was always a fourth man in the fire time and time again. We have to understand that even in the midst of our pain, we are still loved by God. Number two is assessment. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What I always do and when I help individuals that maybe are going through anxiety or anger or depression or something going on cognitively, I always say it's stinking thinking. That's what we call it in the mental health space. When we have some stinking thinking going on, what I want to do is help individuals really understand how to not just identify it, but also to insert something good in its place. There's three C's that I offer everybody that I sit across from. Catch, challenge, and change. The first thing, when we're going through pain and adversity or anxious thoughts or anything like that in our lives, we have to be able to identify them in the moment. So oftentimes, like when we're going through anxiety, where do you typically feel it? Knots in my stomach. I get sweaty. When I'm angry, I start to clench my fists. I start to get red in the face, right? Physiological effects identify these things. Catch, what are you thinking in moments like this? Assess yourself. After you catch them, challenge them against the truth of God's word. How can I challenge this to begin to live a life that's more honoring and glorifying of God? Is this true? Do I have a reason to be this way, or is this just a feeling that's going on? Feelings, they're great indicators. They're horrible dictators. And then beyond challenge, right, we change. We begin to insert something in its place. I don't just want to stop thinking negative thoughts because my past will always come back. The accuser will always whisper again. I want to change them and meditate on the truth of God's word. The third A is awareness. In 1 Kings 3, I love what Solomon was gifted, that, right, that dream where he could wish for anything and what he wished for was wisdom. He said, therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. Oftentimes, what I want people to be aware of is the talk, the voice that they listen to. See, what I mentioned up front was Elijah. Every time he listened to the voice of God, right, he was blessed because God was leading and steering and directing him in this life. But there are four voices that we can listen to, the voice of God, the voice of ourself, the voice of others, and the voice of the enemy. 
oftentimes the voice of the enemy will sometimes utilize the voice of others to distort our voice of self, making us neglect or forget the voice of God. But what my dad always reminds me of and what I love doing in this profession is that God loves to use people through which, or as conduits through which he channels his messages of hope, encouragement, and motivation to a broken and hurting world. When we are able to meditate on the voice of God, the truth of his word, I believe that it impacts the voice that we carry within ourselves. John Mark Homer said that you are the most influential person in your life because nobody talks to you more than you do. It's just the truth, my friends. When we have the right internal self-talk, guess what? Then we can build up and encourage other people like we are called to do in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. And when we're able to do those things, guess what? It completely counteracts the voice of the enemy. Self-talk is more important than you know. Quick fun story I love to share. Dr. James Gills, he was a man who's one of the best athletes really to ever, to ever go about in any training or any event in life. He did an Ironman. You guys know what an Ironman is? A 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and then a 26.2-mile run or a marathon. This dude would do double Ironmans. So he would do an Ironman. 24 hours later, he would do another Ironman. He did it six times. The only person in the world to do it holds the world record for it. His sixth time was over the age of 50. They asked him, Dr. Gills, how did you do it? Like, that doesn't even make sense. You're crazy. And I love what he said. He said, you know how I did it? I learned to talk to myself more than I listened to myself. So when I listened to myself, he said, I want to give up. I want to quit. I hear my pain. I hear my past. I hear all those things creeping up again. But when I learned to talk to myself, to meditate on the truth of God's word, to actually recite scripture when I run, that propels me to every finish line that I come up against in life. Talk to yourself. Be aware of that. Number four is attachment. Again, Genesis 2.18. The very first thing that God said was not good was for man to be alone. We're called to encourage one another, to build one another up. We need people. And oftentimes, I want people to understand this too. Find people that are unfamiliar with the comfort of your chains. Don't just find people that know, right, the different experiences. Find people who are strong where you are weak. Misery loves company. You can have friends around you, but that doesn't mean they're the right friends. Maybe it's time we move past the, well, at least they accept me for who I am crowd. Forget about that stuff. We need people in our lives, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Find people in your life who will sharpen you, who will take you places within yourself that you could not go by yourself. We need people in this life, my friends. Who's in your circle? There's a book written by Sidney Portier. It was titled The Measure of a Man. And in that book, I love this. He gives beautiful imagery here. He says that when you go on a walk with someone, something happens without ever being spoken. Either they adjust to your pace or you adjust to theirs. Then he asks the question, whose pace have you adjusted to? Whose pace have you adjusted to, my friends? Who's walking with you through life? You need the right people. And the last day is that of action. Philippians 4, 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put these things into practice, and the God of peace will be with you always. I was just teaching, I was speaking to the Liberty football team last week, on their off week, out of Daniel chapter 3. And as we were talking about attachment, it reminds me that God gives us friends for the fire, but there was a fourth man in the fire. But I was sharing with those guys, and we talk about action for a second, is that there's a difference between even if 
and only if people. Only if people will say when things are going well, yeah, I'll stay true to my standard. I'll stay true to my values, my beliefs, and my God. But man, even if people, they say, even if things don't go my way, even if I don't get out of life what I was hoping or expecting to get out of it, I'm going to stay true to my God. I'm going to stay true to my standard. We must stay true to the standard within us rather than succumbing to the expectations, opinions, or circumstances around us. When you take action, be an even-if person. And the best way to take action is the most simple thing that I could give you guys today that I share all the time with people is gratitude. Science actually shows that when you're grateful, it's impossible to be grateful and stressed or grateful and anxious at the same time. Because within the brain, when you're grateful, when you're expressing gratitude to God or others, guess what happens? There is dopamine and serotonin that's released within the brain that literally makes you less stressed and makes you less anxious or less worried or less depressed. It's unbelievable what happens. But that's, again, science backing scripture. That's what I love in this profession. It's a scientific profession, but it's built on scriptural references time and time again. Be grateful. Nancy Lita Moss said this. I've learned that in every circumstance that I come up against in this life, I can do one of two things. I can whine or I can worship, and it's impossible to worship without giving thanks. Hamanan is a story, and it reads this. There was a woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She was given three months to live, and she asked her pastor to come to her home to discuss her final wishes. She told him which song she wanted sung at her funeral and what scriptures she wanted read which outfit she wanted to be buried in as well. And then she said, hey, pastor, before you leave, one more thing. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. Pastor said, what? Right, out of all the different things this pastor had done, this was the most odd and bizarre thing he had ever heard. The woman exclaimed, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, something would inevitably say to everyone, Keep your fork. It was my favorite time of the dinner because I knew something better was coming, right? Like velvety chocolate cake or deep-dished apple pie, something wonderful. My family and I, we had uh, one of those, like, shookies last night, which was like those hot cookies with, you know, the ice cream on top. Something great, right? Something wonderful. She said, so what I want people to see, I want them to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, just like you guys, what's with the fork? And I want you to look at him, Pastor, and I want you to say this. Keep your fork because your best is yet to come. My friends, there's broken people in this room. I know that. Like I said, we're all going through something that maybe nobody else knows about. But you're not alone. And there is help. As I pray, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation up front because I think a lot of us, we need hope in the midst of these broken times. We need encouragement. But this path to freedom, my friends, it not only begins, but it is anchored only in Jesus Christ, in Christ and in Christ alone. Pray with me if you would. God, we thank you for this day. God, we're here because we want to turn our lives around. I understand there's been a lot of brokenness. I understand, God, that I'm hurting but I also understand that I'm a sinner. 
that I've made mistakes, that I've made poor decisions in my past. But God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to pay the price for those sins. So God, I ask you to forgive me. God, I ask you to wipe my heart as clean as snow. And God, I pray in this moment that you would save me. Help me turn my life around today. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. I pray, God, that you would continually show up and show off in their lives like never before. And we ask all of these things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. I'm going to ask Pastor Brad to come back up. Church, it doesn't get any better than that. And I just wonder right here, if there's anybody, as Zach just prayed, you accepted Jesus just now, or you rededicated your life to him. And we're going to just briefly close our service like we do every week here at Impact. We're going to offer you an opportunity to put action to what God's doing in your heart with your feet and come forward. If you've made that decision today, or maybe there's something else that God's just spoke to you about. For you're going through a challenging time, a hard time in your relationships, in your job, just in your life in general. Or maybe you know somebody that is, and you want to come forward and pray over them. And, and there'll be pastors up here. We can pray over you, pray over that person, that loved one. Maybe they're lost. Maybe they need a, to hear this message, whatever the case. Right now, let's just stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart. And let's just have the opportunity right now. If there's anybody who wants to come right now, do business with Jesus, you can do that right here. You may not want to talk with the pastor. You may just come right past us and do, just do business with the Lord, whatever that is. Just right now, come as the Lord leads. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. every heart and every on whatever it is, says the Lord leads. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break.
Amen. Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his word and his truth? And give Zach a big round of applause for bringing that word. And Zach, I'd like to bring you back up here, brother. And I'd love for you right now just to share before people leave. Um, I know there's people here that they're either hurting themselves or, or need some extra help themselves. Or they know somebody that does. They have friends. They have family that need help. How can they get extra contact, extra resources, anything that you guys have? Hello, hello. There we go. Guys, the first resource that I would offer you guys, um, if you can put up on the slides, is our light counseling. So it's our private, it's a private practice. It's a Christian practice. We take pride in being clinically excellent, but distinctively Christian. So our goals, what we understand as counselors is that, you know what, we're just using, again, conduits through which God channels his messages of hope and encouragement to broken and hurting people. We don't do the change. We just get the opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit and point people toward our ultimate source of change. That's light counseling. We have a couple of locations here in town. There's a QR code there. I also have things, if you guys can't get that QR code, where we'll be over at the table. You can take a pamphlet. It's, I mean, obviously free of charge to take that pamphlet, but get involved. We want you to know that you're not alone. The second resource that we would offer you from the American Association of Christian Counselors, it's our mental health coaching program. If you guys are interested in mental health coaching, if you're interested in mental health, how to better come alongside of people, what we really want to do in the midst of this is train and equip people up with the necessary resources to do so. Like we said, for such a time as this, my friends, it is actually free of charge. There is a scholarship. All you have to pay is 58 bucks. It's a 40-hour program with the leading experts in the entire mental health profession field, guys. It is powerful stuff. $58. Please take us up on that. Again, it's free, just the tech fee. And the last thing is just a simple podcast, Pastor Brad, the podcast that I host, Build Different Podcast. It releases every Tuesday. I really just want to help instill hope, encouragement, and motivation. So that's another free resource that I pray that maybe you would consider. 
um, just implementing in your daily and weekly schedule because it's a lot of fun. And I glean from those people week in and week out and really recognize that God uses these moments of powerlessness to draw us closer to and reveal the character of his heart. So I pray that you would consider kind of joining with us in some of those opportunities. Amen. Do just that, guys. Go and, uh, and, and listen to that podcast. I know I do, man, uh, the Lord speaks through Zach to me so many times in so many ways. Go and check that out. And I'll tell you another thing you can do. Share this message today. I know that we all probably need to hear it again, and you know somebody that needs to hear it. So I want everybody here, if you're on social media, grab this message off our Facebook page and share it. Share it, share it, share it. If you're not on social media, you're not on Facebook, that's cool, I understand. Go to our YouTube channel. It'll be on there. Copy the link, and you can text it to people if you have to. But get this message out today um, that the Lord brought through Zach and share it out. And oh, by the way, um, we do not all have tinnitus, okay? You don't need to go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor this week. There's a noise in the air conditioning system, for goodness sakes. Um, you know, it is what it is. First week this happened, it happened today. It did not go onto the live stream, so it won't annoy the squeakiness when you share it, okay? But you, you can cancel your appointment you made with the ear, nose, and throat doctor this week. You're okay, all right? So, but anyway, share this message. Get involved. Head to the table over there. Zach will be over there. You can thank him for the message today. Also, um, go to the Engage booth if you have any questions on registration as you leave. And, and as we exit, you can leave if you have to. We want to pray um, now over if the live stream's off and the cameras are off. We want to bring um, Carrie and uh, Amanda and Cindy up here. We want to pray over you guys. Uh, they're getting ready to hang, uh, hang a flight here this Thursday. Is that correct? Over to the country.